All of these hardships, if you take them with the right attitude, which I didn't always, make you better. If you, you know, if you let them make you better. Hi, I'm Bobby, a certified caregiving consultant and educator, a caregiver support group leader, and an international presenter on how to respond to dementia behaviors. And I'm her husband, Mike, and I'm a certified caregiver advocate and a certified music therapist. And this is Roger That, the podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Here we focus on the caregiver, offer practical insights, and share some emotional support. And maybe, just maybe, we'll share a laugh or two because we all know laughter is the best medicine. Yes, it is. And don't forget the wine, Mike. Oh, no, I won't forget the wine. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when you first started taking care of my dad, I remember you um, got some tapes to learn some basic Italian so that you could communicate with him if he reverted back to his native language of of Italian. Absolutely. I mean... As you and I both know, when he first came to us, we had no idea how involved his care was going to be. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until we got his medical records from the VA hospital in Pittsburgh that I understood it was going to be a lot bigger, that he had been diagnosed with schizophrenia uh, and spent 11 years in a mental hospital. Plus, he'd also had some heart issues and he had some COPD. And I thought, this is, go- this is a lot bigger than I thought it was going to be. And there was two things I wanted to do. Um, I wanted to be able to talk intelligently to medical professionals in a way that they would understand me and I could understand them. And knowing that, you know, he grew up in Italy, uh, Italian was his first language, if something should happen and he would revert to that, I wanted to be able to ask him if he was hungry or thirsty or in pain um, to be able to communicate with him. So I started taking some lessons in basic Italian. And I have to say it was fun every now and then when I would, I would say, you know, where's Mike or, you know, talk to him in Italian, see that, that smile come over his face. Um, I just thought it was, it was a nice way to be able to maintain communication. And that brings us to today's guest, who is a nurse and health educator with two master's degrees and a doctorate. When her mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease in 2010 and reverted to her native Spanish, she could not find a Spanish-speaking caregiver for her mother. In 2015, she founded the Career Nursing Academy, which provides quality education at a reasonable cost to be more accessible to immigrant and minority communities. Roger, that is pleased to welcome Dr. Zoila Ortega. Zoila, thank you so much for being here. And we would love to hear about your mom and, you know, you know your journey with her and how it led you to, to do this wonderful thing that you're doing now. Well, thank you so much for having me and for giving me the opportunity to share some of this because I think it would be valuable for others to know the road I traveled pretty much. Um, uh, I really was the person that people came to to find out what to do. I actually took one of the very first workshops on Alzheimer's uh, in 1992. Um, So I felt fairly, if not very well prepared um, 
to handle academically the the care, the nursing care of, and and uh, family care of Alzheimer's. So when my mom was diagnosed in 2010 with Alzheimer's, I mistakenly thought knowledge, brain knowledge would carry me through. <laughs> uh, and all I can say is, I probably have never been so wrong in my life, okay? Um, besides that, I had actually, I was a faculty at various universities, and I had actually created several um, CNA certified nurse aid training programs. Um, so I felt very knowledgeable there too of what, you know, how caregivers were trained and what they knew and so on and so forth. It was never a full-time responsibility, but it was an allied responsibility that I really enjoyed very much. So I had these two pockets of training and then my mother was diagnosed. And with that knowledge, I settled in comfortably, (laughs) Um, I thought, only to find that I really knew very little, okay? And the first thing I was struck with was that you can get academically prepared, but emotional preparation is much more important. And... Mm. um, I was not emotionally prepared for some of for many of the changes, especially in the later phases of Alzheimer's. I was also mistaken in thinking that because I knew things, that they would come easy to me, <laughs> <laughs> which is a huge, huge, huge lie. And I thought I can handle it, and. That was probably the biggest of all the mistakes I made because I delayed getting, trying to get help until probably a year after I should have gotten it because I'm a nurse. I can handle it. Okay. So all of those failures or or lacks, I say, I'd say, led me to a, a point of questioning. What, what could I do? What could be done? And once I realized that help was what what I need, I absolutely needed help. Then I started to say, "Well, easy. I'll just get in contact with the CNAs and find someone who can help me." Only to find out that finding CNAs, period, that were trained and certified, was almost impossible at that time. This was 2015. By that time, my mother lived for seven years with Alzheimer's after diagnosis. So it was she was longer. She lived longer than the average individuals. And I credit that to being at home because she was mm-hmm. only taken care at home. She never went to a facility. And as the disease progressed, her um, knowledge and holding on of English decreased almost daily. And her English was never that strong to begin with. So it was, you know, the decrease was even more noticeable. So finding a CNA period was not easy. And then if you added the language requirement, it became impossible to the point that I realized that if I wanted to have a CNA who could help, really help and be with her, I would have to wind up training a CNA myself. And that's how the foundation of the school came to be. That was the beginning. 
I just realized, you know, it's the kind of thing if you can't make, if you can't find it, you have to learn how to make it. And that's what I wound up doing. I, I said, okay, I'll train someone. And I found a, a, a young woman who just kind of by accident, she was actually um, trying to enroll in another school that I was the evaluator for. I was at that time a state evaluator, so I would go to the various schools to test the students for the state and say if they could, you know, if they would pass the certification exam or not. And she was trying to get admitted into the school, and because I'm bilingual, she talked to me, and I realized that she had some huge um, hurdles to go through. But anyway, she was the first person and she started working. I just said, okay, let's try this. Come in and do two hours a week, twice a week. And that speaks to the insanity of my thinking. I don't need help okay? <laughs> because I did need help. <laughs> but two hours, twice a week, four hours was, I, I need a lot more help than that. <laughs> okay, let's just say that. But she did speak Spanish, and she was able to talk to my mom, and I was able to go out and just walk <laughs> for for an hour or two. That was, uh, it was like the world opened up because there was so much stress and so much frustration. The first thing you mentioned was, you know, being a nurse and thinking, okay, I understand this in the intellectual understanding of dealing with somebody with dementia. And this is something that we run into a good bit with people who work in the care homes, who do a wonderful job at work. And then when it becomes to their own family member, all of a sudden it's, it's overwhelming for them as it is for the rest of us uh, because that personal relationship is very different. Maybe because when you're working in a, in a care home or a facility, you meet that person exactly where they are. You don't have a preconceived notion of how they used to be. And, I, and I'm glad that you mentioned that, that this happens, that you may be really educated <laughs> about this, but still not be ready to do it on your own. Now, I, I hope I'm not being insensitive here, but I also have the question about the uh, bilingual and Spanish-speaking CNAs, is it the combination of the two, of being a certified CNA and a Spanish speaker, that is the issue here? Correct. Well, there, there's the first issue is we need enormously larger numbers of CNAs, period, okay, that are trained well. That's the first issue. Yeah. We need some of those CNAs and a lot more than exist right now to be bilingual and Spanish English, of course, but it, it, Italian English, German English, French English, okay, Tagalogish yes. <laughs> English. So just people who have ability to speak another language, okay. Um, that's the second one. And associated with both of those, we need the other things that I found out as I was searching for CNAs. We need programs that make it possible for individuals that in the past have had doors put and challenges put in their way to become CNAs. And one of those challenges has been language, okay? Uh, the other one is, the others are somewhat practical, practical ones like CNA 
programs offered classes Monday through Friday. Well, on the average, people who are interested in CNA programs needed to work during those times. So they couldn't go to classes easily. Um, so we needed classes that were available Saturday and Sundays, okay? Um, then there's the cost factor. Um, most of the programs required that you paid your course fee and when you start. Well, if you don't have payment plans for individuals where they can play, pay a reasonable amount of money, $200, $300 per week for the program, they, they can't take it, okay? Um, and if you're working Monday through Friday, so um, there were so many factors, okay, that came into it. But bottom line, your question really, or your, your comment is, do we need more CNAs or do we just need more CNAs that, Spani that are Spanish speakers or bilingual, multilingual? Both, we need more CNAs. The reality is that we've trained since uh, May of 2015, we have trained over a thousand CNAs, and everyone is employed. That's amazing. Well, that definitely speaks to the quality of your program, and the and the you know I I'm so impressed the way you laid it out to meet their needs. Well, and and that's what I think is the huge problem, and that's part of what the Career Nursing Academy has done. It's provided avenues for individuals to become CNAs, and good individuals, qualified individuals, but it has eliminated so many of the barriers that has been in the way. I saw on your website that all the classes are taught in English. Is there a requirement for being bilingual to be in or to get into the Career Nursing Academy, or is that just a, a, a cherry on the cheesecake? It's the cherry on the cheesecake. Um, okay. Most of our students are not bilingual. I, I'd say um, probably about 30% of our students are bilingual. Okay. That's that's still good. That's very, yeah, that's, that's a very high percentage, but the majority is still English speakers. What we have for the bilingual students is an openness, uh, an understanding about how what the difficulties are, and, and to make it in practical terms. You mentioned about being accommodative to the students and their work environment and so on and so forth. I know once upon a time when I was going to school, right, you applied for the financial aid and things like that. So you have been training nurses for years. And, uh, Four years that I want to talk about. <laughs> and obviously the um, academy is certified by the Virginia Board of Nursing or accredited. Is financial aid available for the students to come through there? Would somebody be able to get financial aid? Not through the standard mechanism. So, okay. okay. Uh, but we have we have what is called a work-study program so that an individual can work 150 hours is now, um, and they get their tuition coverage covered, their course fee covered. We have sponsorships. Several um, facilities will actually 
pay the course fee for the individual if they hire them, which I always think this is like a win-win because you, yeah. you have a job and you're getting your, your course fee, your course um, paid for. Yeah, it's not like it's not unlike a lot of jobs that have the tuition assistance or the tuition reimbursement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's clear that you're doing everything you possibly can for your students to succeed. Uh, well, we like to think so. Well, we kind of think so too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the things that popped into my head was, you know, and you talked about bilingual people and Unfortunately, there's there's a stereotype that if somebody doesn't is in America and doesn't speak English, that they're they're not very smart or they're not very educated, mm -hmm. um, and that is absolutely not true. You know, your dad was certainly one of them. In Italy, he had advanced degrees in mathematics and literature. He spoke seven languages, but he came to America, you know, working very hard to learn the language, and he would talk about. Pronunciation and grammar was was the hard part, mm -hmm. and the idea that people come into this country with certain skills that aren't recognized because they came in from somewhere else and they speak a different language mm -hmm. really doesn't help anybody. Mm -hmm. And you know, mm -hmm. I think you know things happen in our lives and people come into our lives at certain points when when they're meant to, and you know you're dealing with your mom and her reverting back to her native language. Look what it took you. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I, I, I never thought that her developing Alzheimer's was gonna lead to anything like this. Um, we understand that. Yeah. <laughs> Here we are. But it was, it, and you, you know, I'm, I'm sure the heartbreak that comes from the first time and I can still feel it the first time that she didn't recognize me. I'm an only child. We always were extremely close. Um, how do you make that? How do you handle that emotionally? You know, uh, that was a real tough one. Um, and so and so many other things. Uh, she had a, a real significant personality change. Um, so she was, when I realized that it could be fun getting to know this new person as opposed to grieving the person that she was. That was a big change for me. And uh, all of these hardships, if you uh, take them with the right attitude, which I didn't always, um, right. make you better if you, you know, if you let them make you better. Uh, so I'm trying to let them make me better. Now I tell people this was a gift I didn't know I wanted, but at the time I was living it, it was no yeah. gift at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that kind of brings us full circle, going back to how we began with, you had the clinical knowledge, but that emotional preparation wasn't there. The, the dealing with somebody not knowing who you are, that's heavy. That's a heavy, heavy toll. That, that, that was one of the tough, tough ones. And then there, yeah. you know, um, uh, there was... There is that that point at which you realize that you have to simplify things. For example, there's this theory of validation therapy. So in the third stage of Alzheimer's, you validate. So if they say the sky is purple, you look up and you say, I understand that you see a purple sky. And you keep going because you know that if you say, no, it's not, it's blue, they're going to get agitated. 
-hmm. Well, you know that in your head that that happens at the third stage, but then it happens and you say, no, it's not, it's blue. What makes you say it's purple? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so many things like that. Um, Right. Well, it's been an absolute educational experience (laughs) sitting here talking with you, and we certainly appreciate you coming on to the show. I'm sure our listeners learned a lot, if nothing else, that there are avenues out there where they can have a very rewarding career and that they can get the training that they need to have those careers. And we will certainly put a link to the Career Nursing Academy on our show website so people listening to this can just go right there and reach out and, and get in touch with you. Oh, that'll be, that'll be wonderful. You know, I'm so glad that I found you, Zoila. You are a woman with a huge heart and so much love to give to the community. You are a blessing. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bobby, for saying that, as are you guys for what you do. <laughs> <laughs> you can find more information about Dr. Ortega and a link to the Career Nursing Academy website on our show website at rogerthat.show. This has been Roger That. I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we are dedicated to guiding you through the haze of dementia. So please subscribe to the show, go to iTunes, post a review, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question or issue you'd like for us to address, please post on the Roger That Facebook page. To find out more about us, head over to rogerthat.show. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that.show. Roger That is produced by Missing Link a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast raising the bar on craft cocktails. Here you meet interesting folks, enjoy boozy banter, and learn how to make craft cocktails from a master. And if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights, from dramas to comedies and all those in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe, download, and review the shows as your review helps our show reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company.